Um, if you'd open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, we began a couple weeks ago a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, we're calling it the war. A battle we're in, a battle that began in the heavenlies, it has come down to earth. One of our premises that everything we see in the visible, physical realm is has been at least influenced by what takes place in the spiritual realm. And so if we want real solutions to the physical battles, we need to start in the spiritual realm. Why study this, though? I mean, we want just more than knowledge, right? I mean, knowledge is good, but why, why should we study this? Well, there's two things that emerged in my mind this week as I was going through this, um, is that spiritual warfare is getting more intense, it seems, as Satan's tax, Don't they seem just bolder? I mean, evil is right in our face in increasing measure, it seems. And also, too many are not talking about this war. They're not even maybe aware it's going on or not taking it seriously. And we see that around us as well. We, we need to. This is a real war we're in. And this uh, text this morning uh, is, is really instructive to you and I. But before we do anything more, um, we really need God to speak to us. So let's pray. Lord, as we study this war, we recognize and affirm you are the one true God. That's never been in question. We know you'll never yield your glory to another. We know the outcome's not in doubt. But Lord, you've left in your word truths for us to know and to embrace and to apply in our life. And that's certainly true this morning. We long to hear your voice. And so help us to hear, help us to learn. And might what we study cause us to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sometimes you'll be watching a baseball game and You'll have a real duel between a batter and uh, the pitcher. Sometimes the batter might hit a home run early in the game or, or just could be bad blood. And the pitcher does something which, you know, kind of low, but he'll throw right at the batter's head. And the batter often doesn't appreciate that. And uh, he'll drop his bat, at the very least stare, but often he's going to the mound. There's going to be a confrontation that takes place. There's going to be probably fisticuffs. And often what happens is when the batter goes to the mound to uh, confront this pitcher, the, the bench is empty. All the people in the bench, coaches included, they'll all pour onto the field. And what has happened is this confrontation between the batter and pitcher has expanded now to the rest of the players and the teams. It's expanded in the field of play. The battle expands. It includes other people. Genesis 3, we get an introduction to how that battle, that rebellion we talked about last week in the heavenly realms expanded to earth. And we get a very detailed description of how it happened. Now, some backdrops crucial. Kind of by way of reminder, one facet of Satan's creation was the freedom to choose. They had volition. Because God wants his creatures to worship him out of love. 
And this angel we were introduced to last week, Satan, the adversary, made a choice to become the devil, and he led others in his rebellion. Well, God also created man with volition, the ability to choose, to make that choice real, not just potential. God planted some trees in Eden, and God filled Eden with every kind of tree imaginable, Genesis 2 tells us. Every kind of tree you could think of for Adam and Eve's enjoyment and for food. And in the middle, he planted two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, we have God's instructions. They're pretty clear. They're not tricky. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So, it's pretty clear what's going on. God's, I blessed you. I mean, I've given you every tree imaginable. But there's this one tree, just back off. Just don't eat of that one. But Satan comes in, and this is a devil's attempt now to lead humanity into rebellion. He wastes no time expanding the battle. And thus we get to Genesis 3, verse 1 through 7. We see the mode of Satan's attack. Follow along. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some, some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves around them and made themselves loincloths. There's a subtle, progressive attack on the authority of God's word. And the enemy was successful in the garden. He's been using the same mode ever since. Now we see in verse 1, Satan knows how to dress for war because at this point, the serpent must have been an attractive beast because he's not in remotely stunned or taken back by a serpent. As we talked last week, who's a walking, talking serpent. Um, she's not taken back. She's not fearful at all. She engages the conversation and so Satan knows how to dress for war. Now, I also found it interesting. The first conversation between the devil and a human being wasn't about the weather, wasn't about the beautiful trees, it wasn't about anything. The first conversation the devil engaged a human being with was about God. Isn't that interesting? But it wasn't about the goodness of God. It, it wasn't about the majesty and greatness of God. It wasn't about what takes place up in the heavenlies. No, the conversation is about whether God is good or not. It's about if God's holding out. And so this enemy begins by questioning God's word. Because the issue when it comes to spiritual warfare, as far as our enemy is concerned, is he wants glory. He wants God's glory. He wants to be like God. Make no mistake, that's his agenda. And so he comes in, we're not surprised, questioning God's authority. 
I also began to wonder, and sometimes the more you read, the more questions you get. I kind of wondered why the serpent didn't go to Adam. I mean, why Eve? I mean, why not just go to Adam? Especially before Eve was created. He's all alone. I mean, he should have been vulnerable then. Why go there? Not entirely sure other than to divide this couple would tell us really that whoever owns the family owns the future. If Satan can divide the husband and wife, he gets a huge foothold in the home. And so that should be a warning for every marriage in here. Stay steadfast. And so he leads in questioning God's word. And he turns the statement into a question. He says to the woman at the end of verse 1, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? There's an implication there. He wants her to question God's word. In other words, has he said no to you about anything, Eve? Think about it, Eve. Is God holding out on you? Did God really say that? I mean, it's kind of cruel. That's not really fair. God holding out on you? Now, Genesis 2.16, I want you to see the cleverness of our enemy. God had said they could eat freely of all the trees, except one. Satan doesn't bring up the vastness of God's goodness. He focuses on the one restriction. No, instead of the many yeses. Satan's good at camping on restrictions because it causes us to miss good gifts. Questioning God's word is a trick of the devil to cause you to overlook and appreciate and praise God for his goodness. You see, when something worries us or we get despondent, you and I are prone to come to God and saying, get me out of this, or I want this, or I need this, instead of coming to God and say, I praise you for who you are. I thank you for the way you watch over me and guard me and guide me. That tends to be second, third, if at all. Because our enemy wants to come, us to begin to question. God, do you know what you're doing? Are you being good? Are you holding out on me? Are you fair? He's always trying to get you and I hung up on the tree we can't have. God says, I've given you all these trees to enjoy. We need to thank God. We need to make sure this next generation knows how to fight God, how to fight the battle. And that is by giving thanks, by focusing on the vast goodness of God. Instead of complaining, children, not getting what you want, maybe thank daddy and mommy that they work hard, that you have a roof over your head, you have clothes. Instead of wanting that new set of slacks, maybe you say thank you for the ones I have. Maybe adults, we would be wise to do the same thing. Let's focus on the vast goodness of God and not begin to question him. When we focus on what we don't have, rather than on what God has done for us, we have crossed into enemy territory. I mean, think about that, the subtlety of it. When we don't give God praise and thanks for all that we have, instead, we take the road of telling God we want this and need this. Without gratitude, we begin to cross over in the enemy's territory. He's clever. Don't fall for it. So he begins by questioning God's word, but he not only questions it, he changes it. So Satan asks, has God limited you? Now we know Eve's already in trouble because she's talking with this serpent. She's talking to the serpent over what God said, so that's probably not a good thing. And in the process, she changes God's word because Satan is the author 
of deception. That's why cults are started, because they change God's word. And behind every cult, you know, is satanic and demonic deception. Now, Eve fails to mention something. If you look at her answer, she says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say, here's the restriction, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Notice a phrase she adds that God did not say. Neither shall you touch it. God never said that. God said, don't don't eat of the fruit. That was pretty simple. It was pretty clear. She repeats back to Satan. She adds a phrase. Why? I mean, why would she add that phrase? Why not just say God's been very, very good? And, And he did warn us to stay away from that, but in his goodness even, he knows what he's talking about, but she doesn't do that. She added a prohibition against touching the fruit. God never said that. You see, legalism finds its roots in Eden. Understand that. Legalism finds its roots in Eden. Eve was turning God into a legalist. Exactly what's happening here. And people can look at the Christian life. If you were to talk to some people about the Christian life, we're like, well, the Christian life is don't do this, don't do that, can't have that, can't have that. It's no, 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 no. But God says you shall surely Eat of all the trees. That word surely is rich. It has this idea also of freely. You can freely eat of all this. God says, I've given you freedom. Satan comes, causes the woman to question God's word. She changes it to become legalistic. It's for freedom that Christ set you free, Galatians tells us. But one of the deceptions is Eden, in Eden was legalism. I would have loved to read that Eve said, Satan, you're a liar. I'm standing on what God has said. His word is truth. But because she did not, we're talking about this mess today. If we'll stand in the truth, you and I will stay out of that mess. And so he questions God's word. She changes God's word. And then Satan contradicts God's word. It's a progression. It's important to understand because now in verse 4 and 5, Satan's ready to launch his major strike. He's challenges God's truthfulness. We see it in verse 4 and 5. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Direct contradiction to what God said. God said, you will. Satan says, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen that way. Relax, Eve. Not a big deal. You think Satan ever says that to people today? Relax, It's okay to do that. It's no big deal. Still using that one, isn't he? He uses it all of us. Go ahead, you can watch that show. No, it's no big deal. Oh, and you do your taxes. It's okay to fudge the numbers a little bit. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. You won't surely die. But God said they would. And so he contradicts God's word. And when he does that, he's challenging God's authority. Now he goes on to tell Eve, verse 5, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He goes on to tell Eve his version of the real problem. He directs Eve's thoughts to God's inner thoughts. Implicit in this is the suggestion the serpent knows God better than the woman, and implicit is the serpent knows God's inner thoughts. Now notice the cleverness of this. If Satan can convince her, he knows God's inner thoughts, God's inner motives, 
Satan's setting himself up to be like God. And what is Satan's desire? To be like God. You see it in this whole progression of what happens. Pride is showing itself. And Satan sets himself up as a medium so Eve can know God's thoughts. I thought about that word medium in Leviticus 19.31, Leviticus 26. The caution to God's people is don't turn to mediums. Don't turn to spiritists, fortune tellers, Ouija boards, astrology, crystal balls, and all that junk. All that served to try to be a medium and replace God's lordship. They set themselves up as a medium and distract from what God would want. The enemy's using all kinds of junk, all kinds of stuff, to tempt you and I to look at things independently of God. Knowledge and information were never meant to be independent of God. Now verse 5, notice the damaging thought from the serpent. What he's really saying in verse 5 is disobedience is really going to bring positive blessing. Satan's saying to Eve, let me tell you now what God's up to. He's holding out on you, Eve. I mean, he's not being fair to you. Because God knows something, Eve, that, that if you go and eat of this tree, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want that. God's holding out. He wants all the glory. He's kind of hogging it in that sense. He's trying to get Eve to repeat his sin. Notice that? Satan's expanding the battle down to earth. He's inviting Adam and Eve in to join his rebellion. And so he looks at Eve and says, hey, girl, God's being selfish. He wants to be God all by himself. But let me tell you a secret. Answers in the tree. Answers there. If you bite it, you're going to know what God knows. And it's a mode of attack as he attacks the authority of God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil standing in the middle of the garden was a daily reminder to Adam and Eve that they were the creation, not the creator. That's what it served as. It reminded them daily that there was a creator they worshipped. Now this is not the first time Eve saw the tree. What's the difference? It's the first time she saw the tree through satanic lens. It's the first time she saw something good through the eyes of the enemy. And that's when you know you're in trouble. And thus we have this plunge into sin. This satanic lens, which always will distort, always will deceive, is an earthly lens. And Satan wants you to see sin through his eyes. Because then he can cause us to say, well, it's not a big deal. Or maybe I can even get blessing, something good from taking this particular activity. And thus we have the entrance of sin. Verse 6, we see it. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. It was good for food, lust of the flesh. It was delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise, the pride of life, just like 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, John says. It's not of the Father. That's of the world. And you could even clearly interpret from this passage, that's of the enemy. And that's really the three categories, if you get right down to it, where temptations lie. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
It's the attitude that says, I need something I do not have in order to be happy. So Eve takes the fruit. And she says, hey, Adam, let's do lunch. And Adam partakes. And we have the results of sin. The minute they ate the fruit, they died, just like God said. They became spiritually dead and separated from God. They fell under the curse of sin. Verse 7, we know something's wrong right away, don't we? Then the eyes of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They knew something was wrong. Sin produced immediate results. Guilt, fear, shame came on the scene as mankind sinned. They hid from each other. You see, their nakedness was a sign of innocence. It was a sign of a healthy relationship with each other, but now it's filled with shame. And so they hid from each other, and we know in verse 8 they hid from God. They ran from him rather than turning to God. And so we have, as we go in here, the consequences start to carry out. Verse 9 through 12 tells us there's a good reason they hid. If you look at uh, chapter 3 and 9 through 12, we read this. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Of his first time he's ever been afraid of God. No reason to be. Because I was naked and hid myself. God asks the question, who told you you were naked? Who told you that? It was never even an issue before. You never even asked the question. It didn't matter. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, talk about not having responsibility. Well, the woman you gave to me, it's your fault. She gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Talk about shirking responsibility. Do you know the very first thing God really gave man? If you read in Genesis, one of the, if not the first thing, one of the very first things, responsibility. He gave him responsibility. Adam doesn't take it here. He tries to shift the blame. And so we see already the results of sin. Sin caused immediate alienation. It broke intimate fellowship with God and with each other. Chaos ensued. Look around at the chaos we see. Now Eve recognizes what happened. She recognizes the nature of the serpent in verse 13. We read this. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Finally recognized. She didn't see it in a moment. She dece he deceived me and I ate. In a sense, she's blaming the serpent. But at least she recognizes a little bit what has happened and what's going on. But then we get the curse for sin and the curse is staggering. You see, the entire human race has been brought into the battle. So God in his holiness takes control. He goes down the line pronouncing curses against each participant in the rebellion. To the serpent, he says, okay, Mr. Big Stuff, eat dust. Because you're going to crawl on the belly into dust. And then whenever you see a snake slithering in the dust, probably was a beautiful creature at one time. God said, no, eat dust. But to Eve, the curse is twofold. And women, if you've had a child, <laughs> you know that pain is real. And you know it hurts. You think of Eve. And say, thanks a lot. Because one of the curses, that pain. And I know it's real because 
I was waiting to hear of my sister's birth, and my other sister reported what happened in a delivery room as my one sister was throwing bedpans around and throwing stuff, cursing at the pain, telling the baby, would you get out? And so uh, we know that that is real. Every labor pain is a sign of the rebellion back in the garden. Every birth pain is a reminder of what she forgot, the same thing as she was created, she was not the creator. The enemy whispered in Eve's ear, no one's going to tell you what to do. No one's going to tell you what to do with your body. Pro-choice, the enemy says. And he continues to whisper. And so there's a curse for Eve. Another part of the curse, there'd be conflict with her husband. In her sin, she reached over and grabbed the reins of leadership from her husband. She acted independently of God, and she acted independently of God's design for their relationship. Well, to Adam, we read verse 17 through 18. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Adam acted independently of God, and he paid for it with difficult labor. It would be a different type of labor than a woman, but it would be a certainly labor. Every day, men, you come home, or women, you come home exhausted. Horrible day at work. Remember the garden. It wasn't meant to be that way. We were meant to really enjoy the good things of God, enjoy the work of our hands. But often that's not the case. And so the battle expanded, and so did the judgment. God could have wiped out the whole mess in judgment, but he had a better plan in verse 15. We're introduced to it. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking now to the serpent. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall, and you shall bruise his heel. It's striking and comforting in the same verse in which God pronounced judgment upon the serpent. He gave us a first glimpse of a gospel of deliverance from the power of Satan. You see, a man from the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would come and one day crush Satan's head. That's why Paul could say to a church in Rome, chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. I mean, what a comfort that is. God's plan to work through the human seed. So the situation now is that the world is two distinct seeds, two offspring, children of the devil who follow him and his deceptions, and the children of God who follow him. It's really not that complicated. These two lies are so, these two lines and two offspring are so diametrically opposed that they cannot help but be at enmity with one another. There's a spiritual battle going on in the unseen realm, and it affects and at least influences what happens in the physical realm because there's enmity, there's war going on, there's ongoing conflict. But we'll reread in verse 15, and God, God guaranteed his sin would win or his seed would win the final victory. Better get that one right. God guaranteed that his seed would win the final victory, but Satan being the tireless adversary that he is, he says, in effect, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. This war is not over. And so it expands to the earth. But we know from Scripture the coming Savior would crush the devil and bring righteousness 
there would be a seed who'd engage Satan in spiritual warfare and, unlike Adam, emerge victorious. And Genesis 3.21 is an amen passage. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife Eve garments of skins and clothed them. God replaces their covering with his own. Their efforts with his efforts. In essence, he's saying your covering won't work. It'll never work. It won't fix the problem of your sin. But I have a covering that will fix the problem. I have a provision, a covering, which is the only covering that can make you acceptable to God. That's why all the way through the Old Testament, people were offering animal sacrifices. And they were, off, they were offering fitting sacrifices that God ordered to cover their sin before a holy God until the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would come and provide a permanent sacrifice through his shed blood. Jesus Christ, God's provision, the only way to experience forgiveness from sin, deliverance from sin's penalty, and victory in spiritual war. You see, there's a divine covering that's necessary for forgiveness and deliverance. And if you know Christ, the curse of sin is lifted. You don't go from dust to dust, you go from dust to glory. He's trans. He's transformed everything. He's gained victory for us. Well, what are the warfare lessons? Lessons so we don't cross into enemy territory. One, focus on all God is and all God has given you. That'll be a long way in walking in victory. Focus on all he is, all he's given you. Don't be duped. Look at the many times and the many trees you get to enjoy. Bracket your prayers with thanksgiving. Just like Jehoshaphat. They went into war, put the Levites in the front side. They went praising God. That's where they started. It would be a good way to start our prayers that way, wouldn't it? Instead of worrying, intentionally choose to focus on God and his provisions. Don't let the enemy pull you in by his deceptions. Number two, believe God's word is absolute truth. Don't question his, truth, his truthfulness and don't question his trustworthiness. To question God's truthfulness is to follow Satan in challenging God's authority. You and I need to stand on God's truth. We need to know it. That's why each week I give you next steps so you can build on Sunday morning, continue to lay God's word in your heart. That's why we have scripture memory. We lay up God's word in our heart so we can stand on God's absolute truth. We need to have an it is written mentality. We need to be able to look at Scripture and say, God has spoken and he has not stuttered. What he said is clear. I'm going to study it, I'm going to learn it, and I'm going to apply it. Believe God's word is absolute truth and trust the only cure for sin. God's provision in Jesus Christ. It's interesting as we read this because Adam and Eve tasted the fruit. And we're told in the New Testament, Jesus tasted death. There was a mess came when Adam and Eve ate from a tree. But there's a cure for that when Jesus Christ came and hung on a tree. The cure for the sin is found in Jesus Christ. He has the final word. He came to deliver you from sin and the power of the enemy. And if you know Jesus Christ, he's covered you. You have victory. And I've got good news. The battle's expanded to earth, but help's come from heaven. 
God has good provisions for you. He's not holding out on you. God has word. He tells us the truth, and it's that truth that sets us free. And God's cure for sin provides a divine covering, not just for today, but for all of eternity. There's victory in the battle if you run to Christ. There's victory in the battle if you come to the cross, because it's there you'll find help in the battle. Let's pray. Lord, this passage is loaded. I mean, even as I speak, I feel like we really haven't even scratched the surface of it. But God, what we learn is so helpful. I can't help but look and see the many times, even throughout the week and last week even, where I recognize the war. My mind was assaulted with deceptive thoughts and turn on the TV or read the paper and you, we see lies being perpetrated. We see Satan put forth the mindset that God's holding out over and over, causing us to complain instead of praise. God, help us to focus on your goodness, on your character. Give us eyes to see, your eyes, not the enemy's, your eyes. Help us to be quick to respond to your truth, to walk in faith, believing that you have spoken. And it's true, we can bank our life on it. And God, I pray each person in here will have turned to you for salvation, finding the only cure for sin and its penalty. Jesus, we, pray that you, we praise you that you came and destroyed the work of the devil. We thank you for forgiveness and deliverance. And I pray for anyone in this room who's never turned to you, God, I pray that even these moments, their eyes would be opened and they could see you and respond to you in faith. And so, Lord, thank you. You've won the battle. You've won the war. And help us this week to walk in that reality. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.